You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome back to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. This Mariners pod, you know, casual with it. Thanks for being here once again. It's great to have you here. Mariners played baseball again yesterday. Ah, it's so great. This is a fun one. So here's what we have in store for you. We're going to talk about the game a little bit yesterday because of some position battle implications that I think are pretty interesting. So we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Coming up, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Tim Eckert-Fong is going to be by from athleticsnation.com. He wrote a very interesting article Uh, titled The Most Important Non-A's in the AL West, and we'll talk about some A's as well, but he talks about some of the most pivotal players in the division for each team, guys that can really make or break teams one way or another, and uh, I think you'll be interested in uh, the guys he pinpoints for the Mariners. So that's a discussion that's coming up, and I was so inspired after the fact you'll hear me pick my three for each team outside of the Mariners that I think will be most pivotal for teams' fortunes moving forward into the regular season. So that comes up. First things first, though, the game yesterday, a wild one. Mariners lose 10-8 to to the Diamondbacks. All eyes on Paxton getting his second start of the spring. And, of course, that's a position battle we've talked about already and we will continue to talk about as he's battling with Nathan Carnes. And Paxton struggled. He settled down after a rough start, ended up going three innings, seven hits, four runs all earned, didn't walk anybody, and struck out one, gave up one long ball as well. Paxton threw 47 pitches in the start and uh, 33 strikes. And we'll continue to watch You know, so much importance when, when there's a player in a position battle. So every start is looked at pretty closely. This one a struggle. Uh, we'll see... How Carnes does when he takes the ball today. That's going to be interesting. Also, coming out of the ball game that was pretty interesting is we've talked about the backup first baseman battle with Montero in the mix. Uh, Sanchez is there as well. And then Deho Lee, who showed off his power, hitting a mammoth jack late in the ball game. Next pitch to Deho Lee, and this is gone by a ton on top of the berm at the end of the berm. And <laughs> that was a no-doubter from the second and left the bat. Absolutely crushed by Deho Lee. A solo bomb to begin things here in the bottom of the eighth inning. That ball was absolutely destroyed and turned into pretty good defense as well. So we're going to ground ball quickly to Deho Lee. Steps on the bag at first, throws down at second base. Tag applied and out. 3-6 double play. Dejolis looked pretty good so far for first base here today. And that's one of the questions, of course, defensively, how he'd handle first base and handled it pretty well there. So we'll continue to watch that battle very closely. Kyle Seeger checking in with the long ball. 
Next pitch to Seager. He swings and blasts to right center field. It's out of the berm and no time for a home run. Seager goes deep. He smashes that pitch from Bradley. It'll bring in Marte, a two-run shot. Mariners trying to chip into this healthy Diamondbacks lead. It's now 10-5 to Arizona. So my favorite thing for each season is kind of plow through Major League Baseball guy by guy, essentially. Just look over the numbers, look at what I think they're going to do, up or down from the year before, that kind of thing. And I stumbled as I was doing this, I, I stumble across – numbers or put together numbers that I think are pretty interesting and one I tweeted out yesterday but I, I thought I mentioned it here off of Seeger's home run but I was looking at players who've hit 260 or above with 20 or more home runs in each of the last three seasons and the list is probably a lot shorter than you would suspect 260 or above with 20 or more home runs. In fact, there's only eight players on that list that's done it each of the last three years. Trout is on there, not a shock. McCutcheon there as well, kind of a who's who to start. Encarnacion, Adrian Gonzalez, Adam Jones, David Ortiz, Nelson Cruz, and Kyle Seeger. And Kyle Seeger, he was just one batting average point away from making it four years in a row because the year before that he had 259 and was above 20 home runs. But he's the only third baseman on the list, and again, I think it speaks to his just quiet consistency. As It's a short list, and not only do you have to be productive, you have to be healthy. There's a lot that goes into it, but I thought that was a pretty impressive number and probably surprising to a lot of people around. And uh, last but not least, i got to play a Boog Powell highlight because it's a Boog Powell highlight. The 1-1. Swing line, drive, hard hit, right field, and a base hit. Romero scores from third. Here comes Clevenger. He's waved home. Navarro digging for third. He's being waved in. Powell stands up at second. Navarro put the brakes on, then put on the gas, and he slides in. He's safe as that throw got cut off with two outs. Luke Powell clears him. It's a three-run double, and the Mariners have taken a 3-2 to two lead. I love the boog in the background. That is, that's outstanding. The spring training crowd getting into it. So that was the game yesterday. Mariners lose 10-8. to But uh, some interesting side notes, I think, to position battles. And we'll continue to watch those moving forward. Mariners back in action today. Taking on Cleveland at 12.05. Oh, before I forgot to mention a couple of things. Uh, so you know about Mariners Pod, at Mariners Pod on Twitter. You can... See us there now. Also, the podcast, you can get it on Stitcher now and also on TuneIn now. So a couple other places uh, you can grab it. If there's any other spot that you'd like to see it, let me know. You can uh, let me know, and I'll try and get it up there as well. So a couple other options for you if you want to subscribe outside of iTunes. So there you go. Took care of those, uh, those notes. Now let's turn to what I think is a very interesting conversation. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. I uh, saw a really great article by Tim Eckert-Fong, who writes at athleticsnation.com. You can see him there. You can follow on Twitter as well, T. Eckert-Fong. And a very interesting article about looking at, from the A's perspective, looking at the most important non-A's in the AL West. And, Tim, I think this is a very interesting conversation to have at this point of the spring, especially with a division with uh, a few teams really can go any direction. I think it's a really interesting division, and I, I really like taking a look at some of the guys that really it's going to hinge on when you start looking at teams and individuals. So let's start with the Houston Astros. 
Who are some of the guys, uh, a guy or two, that you pinpoint on the Astros that are the most important for Houston? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everyone's going to think about Carlos Correa to start just because, you know, he's the up-and-coming shortstop. He was so good last year, and he only played part of the year. Um, I think that, you know, they've got a lineup where there's a lot of guys you can count on from Altuve to Springer to Correa. You can, you know, be pretty sure that those guys are going to put up good numbers. Um, one guy that I pinpointed was uh, Colby Rasmus. Uh, you know, last year he had a pretty good year with the Astros, but he's been inconsistent in his career before that. Um, and you kind of got to wonder which guy you're going to get next year. Um, you know, is it going to be the good Colby or the bad Colby? And that could be a big difference for the Astros. That could be, you know, somewhere between one and three games. Uh, if you look at, you know, kind of by war. And if you think about it, just over the course of the season, that could be the difference between winning five games. Um, and that's a big deal to the Astros, especially in the division. You know, like you said, you never know what's going to happen. And it's probably going to come down to the finish. And, uh, you know, Rasmus will definitely play a big part in how this, uh, their season goes. Um, another guy is Colby, or, uh, Carlos Gomez. They acquired him last year, and he was so good with the Brewers. And then he came to the Astros, and he wasn't so good. Uh, you know, 30 years old, uh, he's getting up there in age, and at some point he's going to decline. And you have to wonder if 2015 was the start of that decline or if that was just kind of an, an enigma, just a random thing. Um, and if the Astros are going to succeed, I think both those guys really have to put up numbers like they did last year. Uh, they've got a lot of other guys in their lineup that are really good, but those two guys, you know, they could go either way. They could be really bad or they could be really, really good. Um, and if they want to win the division, uh, you know, and really start kind of their dynasty that they're hoping to start, uh, it'll revolve around those two guys along with the rest of the lineup. No, it's great points because if you map it out where Gomez and Rasmus do have good years, I mean, that lineup becomes incredible. At the same time, if they both struggle, all of a sudden the lineup has some holes. I mean, you make great points with both yeah. guys. Absolutely. Uh, it is a really strong lineup outside of them, but it's amazing how much a difference one guy can make, especially Rasmus. You know, last year he was so good, but he can be so bad, and we've seen it before. Uh, very inconsistent player. Uh, and the Astros' hopes really rely on him a lot, I think. How about the Texas Rangers? Who are you spotlighting from them? <laughs> Yeah, the Rangers are a really interesting team. You know, you think about how bad they were in 2015, and then they turn right back around and have a really, really good season in 2000. Uh, or 2014, they were really bad. 2015, they had a really great season. Um, there's a lot of guys on that lineup that I think that can go either way. Uh, I think it all starts with their pitching. Uh, you Darvish is a big guy, obviously. Uh, you know, a guy that maybe could have won a Cy Young if he didn't get injured. Uh, then he went down with Tommy John, which is just a horrible injury that you don't wish upon anyone. Uh, and it was just huge for their season last year. You know, they overcame that. They've got a lot of depth in their rotation, but they really don't have that, you know, kind of frontline starter. Other than Cole Hamels is really good, but the drop-off from there to Holland to Lewis, just a pretty big drop-off. So if Darvish can come back, um, and you know, put up a really good season. He'll really stabilize that rotation, uh, and that rotation is really you know going to be what kind of makes or breaks uh, the Rangers. I think uh, their lineup should look pretty good. Uh, a lot of guys that could kind of you know continue to climb as they definitely get up in age. Sinsu Chu is going to be 34 this year. Uh, Fielder's going to be 32. Uh, Beltre's going to be 37. So it's really an old lineup, and they've kind of got a closing window uh, on their playoff hopes. But I think that the lineup should hold their own for at least another year, and then they start to decline. Um, and I think that Yu Darvish is the guy that really will make or break their season because he can be a Cy Young guy or he can be a guy that you know has another injury and is out for the entire season. No, he can make a remarkable difference. I mean, if he turns back the clock to what he was just a couple years ago, that – rotation becomes pretty formidable. It's pretty amazing that they were able to pull off what they did last year given yeah, their really start was. and their injuries in the rotation. 
Absolutely. Their injuries, you know, they've been so unlucky for a few years now. I know a lot of teams in the AL West have, but really have to feel bad for them in 2014 when they looked like they had a really good team and then everything just went down. Um, so, you know, if they can stay healthy this year, I think they've got a really good chance at repeating, but it is a talented division too. What about the Angels? Yeah, the Angels are an interesting team. They are, you know, they've got a horrible farm system, and they really probably have one year left of trying to make the playoffs, I think, before they really have to tear everything down and uh, kind of start from scratch. Um, one area that is obviously really ugly for them is left field. Um, they're not paying Josh Hamilton to play left field anymore for them. They're paying him, paying him to play for the Rangers now, um, and they've got a platoon of Daniel Nava and Craig Gentry in left field. Uh, both those guys have had you know, really good seasons in their career, but they're also really declining quite a bit. Nava was really horrible last year. Gentry was pretty much injured for the entire season. Um, and it seems like he's got some kind of lingering concussion issues, which is really unfortunate, but you know, those things don't go away anytime soon. So how those two go, I think, will really uh, kind of affect their lineup and you know, how many runs they score this year will depend on how those two do. The rest of their lineup, it looks pretty good. You've got Escobar, you know, we got Pujols, who's declining, but he did have a decent year last year. And, of course, Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. So there's some talent there. Uh, they picked up Angelton Simmons as well, best defensive shortstop in baseball, really fun to watch. So they've got some talent, but, you know, aging guys and then the left field platoon, that could be arguably the worst position in baseball, I think. Mm. Um, you got to look at the rotation as well. You know, C.J. Wilson is projected to be out till I think, the beginning of May, um, which is a big hole in their rotation. You know, he's always a guy that puts up a lot of innings, and the rest of the rotation hasn't done, you know, quite as well putting up innings. They've got Andrew Heaney, who's a young guy who could kind of take that spot, but, you know, very unproven. Um, so really, there's a lot of guys on the Angels that I think could go either way. And really, they need to have a good season this year because I think this is really their last chance at you know a playoff run. Yeah. So let's get to the Mariners. Obviously, with high expectations last year, they didn't meet those expectations. A lot of roster turnover. But who are the guys you're spotlighting from the Mariners coming into this season? Yeah, I think the most obvious guy is Felix Hernandez. Um, you know, as an A's fan, I'm used to Felix being the A's like five times per year. It seems like we faced him on opening day for like nine straight years yeah. and every game was a shutout. So I'm a big Felix fan. His changeup is, I think, one of my favorite pitches in all of baseball. Um, but, you know, you started to see a little bit of a decline in the second half of last season. And there wasn't a particular drop in velocity or anything like that. So hopefully there's no injury there or anything like that. But, you know, he's been in the in baseball for 12 seasons now, or this is his 12th season. So it's easy to see that he's got some mileage on his arm and you got to wonder you know how next season will go for him will he be able to recover from that you know not so great second half and be more like the pitcher of the first half or the pitcher of 2014 that we've been used to um so he's obviously key to the rotation i think that rotation could be really really good uh, a lot of depth there too but you know if felix can't hold his own like he has in previous years you got to start to wonder about you know the overall quality of the rotation um, and then on the other side, uh, hitters, you know, Robinson Cano had a, his worst season pretty much of his, you know, established career last year. And I think a lot of that was due to that kind of stomach issue he had in the first half. And he was really, really good in the second half, probably, you know, the second, the best second baseman in the second half, uh, last season, but you got to wonder, you know, he's getting up there in age as well. Can he be that, you know, second half hitter again in 2016, or will we see, you know, some decline from him? Um, and then obviously Nelson Cruz, I think is a guy to keep an eye on at some point. You think he'll, you know, start to drop off, although we haven't seen it at all. He hit 44 home runs last year, which is pretty amazing. Um, but he is getting up there in age, so you have to wonder, you know, can he repeat that in 2016 when the Mariners really need him to? Back to Felix for a second, because I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated with Felix against the A's because uh, the numbers alone, <laughs> the splits in his career against Oakland is pretty dramatic, especially 
when you look at uh, how many times the teams play one another, and it seems inevitable, any time those two teams will play, Felix ends up pitching in the series. What is it like from the A's fan perspective, especially A's fans have been watching A's baseball for the last decade or so, where he has pitched so often and so well against them. What, what are the feelings for Felix Hernandez from A's fans right now? I got to tell you, it is so brutal to watch him pitch against us because you just know what's going to happen when he goes on the mound. And, uh, you know, the A's have been really good for a few seasons out of the last five years. And even during those seasons, when you see that Felix is scheduled to pitch, you just think, oh, well, I guess we're losing today. Um, not a great feeling. And, you know, it's pretty amazing for a pitcher to be that good, especially, you know, against a team. The A's were had a good lineup for a few years and we were really good. And Felix still knew how to dominate them. And he's just got such a great arsenal and he's so much fun to watch. And it's also, you know, there's a lot of pitchers in the division that you can root against. I don't think Felix is one of those guys. He just seems like a great guy. He's been so good for so long. Um, and you love it when a guy is, you know, on the same team for a while. He's been with the Mariners' entire career, which I think is pretty cool. So your article, which is fantastic, by the way, you can find it at athleticsnation.com. It, it talks about players that are affecting the A's season. So you didn't write about A's players. But let's talk about A's players. It's it can often be difficult projecting what the A's are going to do from one season to the next. So who are some of the key guys for the athletics coming into this season? Yeah, there's a lot of them. The A's, uh, they've got a roster full of guys that can go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. um, I think the guy that really kind of is emblematic of the whole team is Marcus Semien. He's a guy last year yeah. who set the record for most errors in the season for, you know, athletic, which isn't good, but it's a very fixable error, a very fixable problem. And he's got a lot of upside. So, you know, the 2015 A's were terrible, but they did have upside. You know, Semien could be a very good hitter. He was a pretty good hitter last year as a shortstop, and he was basically playing his rookie season. Um, we traded for Chris Davis, who's a slugger from Milwaukee. He should hit a lot of home runs and really bring a lot of pop to the lineup last year, which didn't have much at all. Um, and then I think the rotation is really, you know, what's going to make or break the A's. I think the lineup should put up a decent amount of runs. They were 18th in the run scored in 2015, got a little better. So they should be right around league average on runs scored. Um, but the rotation's got a lot of volatility for sure. You know, Sonny Gray is, should be the ace of the staff. But from there, you've got Rich Hill, who was, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball last year for about six starts, and that was all he threw. Uh, you got Jesse Hahn, who was good for half a season, and then he had an elbow injury, which is always scary. Uh, Chris Bassett, who was good for you know a quarter of the season, then he got injured as well, but he was really good for that time. Uh, Kendall Graveman, who was you know pretty good as well. And then those last three guys, they're all rookies, so they've got a lot of projectability. They all should be you know two through four guys who have good upside, but they've got to put it together, and the A season will really rely upon that. I'm excited about the division this year. I think it's going to be a fascinating race, and there's, I think every team you can make a case going up or down. What's your general feel for the division heading into this season? I think it's going to be so much fun. Uh, it's been, you know, 2015, I think, was one of the most fun years for a division in the history of baseball just because there were three teams at the top that could have made the playoffs. You know, the, the Angels missed the second wild card by just a single game. And I think 2016 will probably look pretty similar. Um, the Astros, I think, will probably take the division. They've got just so much talent. Uh, and they really put it together last year, and they added on a little bit this year. Um, but I wouldn't bet money on any team just because it's so unpredictable. Um, I think that is going to come down to the Astros, the Rangers, and the Mariners for sure. Um, all three teams have so much talent, but again, it's just impossible to predict the division. Uh, and last year, you know, the Rangers finished last place in 2014, and then they won the division in 2015. So uh, you never know what's going to happen. 
Well, you follow the A's so closely. What what are your expectations for the A's coming into this season? Uh, so I'm very, very cautiously optimistic. Okay. Um, I think that A's fans as a whole, you know, we're not trying to uh, expect to make the playoffs after such a horrible season where we lost 94 games. Um, I think what, you know, our fan group is really looking for is a, a team that can make the playoffs in 2017. So we want to see a lot of steps forward in 2016. Um, if you look across the, the A's roster right now, there's only like three guys that are going to be free agents after this year. And, you know, the rest of the team should be around for, you know, somewhere between like two and five years. And you've got a lot of guys that could be big parts of the team in 2017, 2018, when the A's are really hoping to make the playoffs. You know, you got Billy Burns, who was a rookie last year. He was pretty solid. He got some question marks going into this year, but uh, he was really good as a rookie. So we're hoping for the best for him. Mark Canna was really good last year. Also his rookie year. You know, he's a guy that can play across the diamond. Um, decent defender, has a lot of pop in his bat. So really just want to see the A's take a step forward this year. Uh, they won you know, 68 games last year. We're hoping for a team around 500 this year that can easily make the next step forward in 2017. But again, this division is just so unpredictable yeah. that you know, if, if this team can be around 500, you can expect you know, there's a chance that they could make the playoffs if things get crazy. And things probably will get crazy because this is the ALS. So. No doubt. No doubt. No, it's going to be wild. Tim, great article. This was a fun visit. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Good talking to you, Gary. I appreciate you having me on. And I think it's pretty interesting when you look at the AL West as a division and some of the players that we talked about. And those can be some of the guys, their performance can really make the difference when you talk about what probably will be a tight division. It was last year, came down to the wire with three teams in the mix. So that's why I think this question is so interesting. In fact, I'm inspired, so I'm going to pick my three from every other team in the AL West. Again, I'm not naming the best three of each team. Take the Astros, for example. Jose Altuve, I think, would be on that list for the Astros, but I'm kind of assuming his production level coming into next year. Same with Dallas Keuchel. I'm assuming, I'm assuming relatively stable production values. So what I'm looking for in my list are the guys that's either going to swing it one way or the other. So I'm going to pick my three, and let's start with the Texas Rangers. Of course, winners of the division last year in pretty amazing fashion considering the struggles they had to start the season and also the trouble they had in the rotation all season long. Darvish going down, Holland going down. They ended up getting Hamels uh, before the trade deadline, which really helped their cause. But those are some of the questions for the Texas Rangers they were able to answer last year and pride themselves into the postseason so what about the questions this year? Well, my number one guy on the list for the Texas Rangers, a guy that could really swing this thing for the Rangers one way or another, I don't think this is a big surprise. We talked about him a few moments ago. The 0-2 to Andino, fastball, strike three called on the outside corner. That will retire the side. And for the second inning in a row, Darvish strikes out the side. Six strikeouts for you, Darvish. And he can certainly rack up K's when he is healthy, and that's the question coming into this season. They have Hamels at the top of the rotation. Can they survive another year with a short rotation, with injuries in the rotation? Can they pull that trick again? Well, that's the question. I'm not sure they can. You, Darvish, though, think about, I mean, think about what he was in 2013, for example. 210 innings, 277 strikeouts to go along with a nifty 2.83 ERA, 1.07 whip, dominant. 2014, again, 
year cut short with injuries, 144 innings, but 182 strikeouts in those 144 innings. Elite pitcher and can be an absolute game changer for the Rangers if he's healthy. That's the question. So along those lines, my number two guy on this list is Derek Holland, another guy on the rotation for the Texas Rangers. Hey, it's... We've got King Felix matching up with this guy from the Dutchlands, Derek Holland. He's got himself a nice fastball that comes in there pretty fast. Some would say it's real fast. I like watching Felix. He has this problem with his foot. It's incredible. It balances around. He has the high socks and he comes low socks. You don't know what kind of socks he's going to wear. He wears a crown on the mound because he strikes people out. He's a king of the castle as my friend Borat would call him. It's outstanding. Come on, guys. And I swear I didn't pick Holland just because of his impression, but that was an added bonus. Because when I look at the Texas Rangers, I think it's all going to rest on the rotation. Offense looks pretty solid coming into the season. Bullpen was outstanding and probably an underrated piece to what they did last year, and it, it looks to be just as strong this year, although... You never really know with bullpens. I think it's going to rest on the rotation. Can Derek Holland be a piece in the rotation? He hasn't been the last couple of years. Last year, just 59 innings pitched. The year before that, around the same, 200, over 200 in 2013. So it's been a couple of years, but we've seen glimpses from the lefty. And he really doesn't have to be great, elite. He can slide into the three or four to give the rotation a little bit of depth because after Hamels, uh, there's question marks with Colby Lewis, also Perez in there, Gonzalez. So there's questions with the rotation. If they can get a couple of answers from Darvish and Holland, that could be huge for the Rangers. Now my third guy on the list moving to the offense is a name uh, we know very well. Here's the windup and the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss by Beltre. Another changeup and Felix just stares at Beltre. Beltre stares back, has a smile on his face, and so does Felix. Felix has struck him out. And these two guys always have a good time when they face one another. A nasty changeup and a swing and a miss by Beltre. And Adrian just had this little grin on his face, just staring out at Felix. The Rangers offense projects to be pretty solid, but you can see if Adrian Beltre is taken out of that mix with injury or lack of production, all of a sudden uh, the offense, especially in the middle of the order, pretty big hit. And Beltre, Hall of Fame career, most likely age 37 now. Uh, last season, 567 at-bats after a tough start. Bounced back nicely. Hit 287, 18 home runs, 83 RBIs, 19 homers the year before that. Hit 324. The question is, can he keep that production going? Because there's a little bit of age on the Texas Rangers side when you talk about Beltre on one side, Prince Fielder as the DH. Ian Desmond, who they just acquired a week or so ago, can help with some of that production. But if they were to lose Beltre, that would be a pretty big loss. So Beltre, my third key for the Texas Rangers. Let's move on to the Houston Astros. The three for Houston, well, here's my number one. Litke ready and the lefty's 2-0 pitch. Swung on, line drive into the gap in right center field. Aoki running third, he'll score. Heading for third is Lucroy. The throw into second base and diving in safely with a double goes Carlos Gomez. The Brewers get another run and now lead 8 to nothing. 
So I think this is pretty interesting. There's Aoki scoring when he was with the Brewers, by the way. Carlos Gomez driving him in when he was with the Brew Crew. Now, of course, a Houston Astro. Never really got it going with Houston. The question is, and this is a big question, we just talked about Carlos Gomez a couple of moments ago, but he had a couple of monster years with the Brewers, and you don't have to go back very far to look at him. 2014, hit 284 with 23 home runs, swiped 34 bases. The year before that, hit 24 bombs, stole 40 bases, and hit 284 along the way. So had a couple of massive years with the Brewers and still age 30, so near his production peak. And if he can get near that peak again, boy, the Astros' offense looks awfully good. He also dealt with a number of injuries last year, so it's going to be a big question for the Astros. If they can get the Carlos Gomez from just a year or so ago, that offense is looking even better. My number two, well, a guy that uh, everyone seems to be talking about for good reason. It's Carlos Correa. I was in third grade, and I told my dad uh, I didn't want to have a translator uh, when I made my interviews because I wanted to play in the big league, so I didn't want to have a translator and all that stuff. So he, he got another job in construction. He worked three times a day to be able to pay for a, for a bilingual school. And, you know, you'll start from there. And now, you know, I can speak English and I can make my own interviews and stuff like that. So at the end of the day, all that sacrifice paid off. There's Carlos Correa right there. And, man, did he burst onto the scene or what with the Astros and just 30, uh, 387 ABs, swipe 14 bases, hit 279, and really helped propel Houston's offense. And you think about him – in a full season, it's easy to assume Yeah, he's so talented that he's going to produce at that kind of level for a whole season. We'll see if that happens or not. But you look at some of the projections, and it's pretty eye-popping when you consider he's 21. I mean, projections of mid-20 home runs, uh, nearing 100 RBIs, stolen bases near 20, 285 batting average from a shortstop, no less, this day and age. That is remarkable. And if he does produce at that level – and think about if Gomez produces at that level. That offense is going to be a machine, especially when Springer in the middle. You have Gaddis there as well, who's very dangerous. Uh, Rashmus is there, and, of course, Jose Altuve as well. But you can see why I'm looking at it with Correa and Gomez. They can really turn this offense from being good to being really elite with those two guys. My third choice, I think, Dallas Keuchel was incredible last year, and I think for what we've seen from his track record, he'll be good again. Will he repeat? We'll see. But they have a lot of guys in the mix for their starting five, uh, Doug Fister being one of them, Feldman's there, Fires who they acquired from the Brewers, McHugh as well, Peacock's there. But who's going to be the 2-3 behind Keuchel? McHugh's probably going to be one of them. But the other guy I'm looking at and could be a big key to their rotation is Lance McCullers. I was uh, in high school. I was a junior in high school, and I was about to start my quote-unquote pitching career because I really didn't pitch that much before my junior year of high school. If I did, it was just coming from shortstop throwing straight fastballs. Um, so I was messing around with this with this spike grip that um, Jeff Getz, our pitching coach, kind of was messing around with me with. And um, I just kind of tinkering with it. And one day in the outfield, I threw it to one of my buddies, and he just whiffed on it. And um, from that point on, I've just been kind of sticking with it and always adjusting and trying to make it as good as I can. 
He's got massive potential. Had a nice run for the Astros in his 126 innings, a 3-2-2 ERA, but he can make a giant difference in the rotation with his big arm. We'll see. He could be a real key to the Astros this year. So what about the Angels? And the first guy I'm going to talk about, it's probably not a big surprise that he is on this list. The 2-2 pitch, here she comes, swing and a miss, strike three. He strikes out Pujols with a splinter in the dirt. That's a third time that Iwakuma has fanned Albert Pujols this evening, and that will end the inning. Wow. Well, Pujols did it again. 40 home runs last year, nearly drove in 100 and able to produce. Can he produce at a similar level? And that's the question because you start to look at the Angels lineup and they have some real question marks, and I'll get to that in just a second. Obviously, Mike Trotz there, uh, best player in baseball right now, but he's going to need help behind him. Calhoun was excellent last year, but can Pools produce at that same kind of level? For me, he's going to be a giant key for the Angels this year. Another key for the Angels, I think, in the rotation because after Garrett Richards, again, question marks with Weaver and Wilson, a couple of veterans. Wilson is banged up. Weaver struggled last year. I think Andrew Heaney is on that list for me. He's going to be a real key to help stabilize the rotation. They have a list of guys, and you're not exactly sure what you're going to get from Skaggs and Santiago and Shoemaker at the back end of the rotation, but Heaney has a chance to slide into the number three and really help stabilize things, and that would definitely help the Angels' cause. And my third key, I couldn't just settle on one guy. Mr. X, I guess, at some point from someone, they're going to have to get production at second, third, and left field. And it's not exactly clear as we sit here in spring training, first of all, who's going to be starting in each of those positions. You assume Escobar at third base for the Angels and uh, probably Giovatella at second base and then some sort of platoon in left field with Nava and Gentry is how it sits right now. But, I mean, that's three spots where – they're not really settled in production, and I talked a moment ago, Trout, Calhoun, Pujols going to be big keys, but they're going to need production from those spots. So I, I guess I'm cheating by picking Mr. X <laughs> because I don't know who to pin down for that last spot, but they're going to need production in one or two of those three spots if they're going to survive offensively. And finally, the Oakland A's. Very interesting team to look at coming in. I think the number one for me is going to be their shortstop, Marcus Simeon. The line, the pitch. Simeon swings to the first one, bounces it up the line to third base. Seager takes it there, throws out a second, and they get the force at second base with Cano covering. Vote is out at second base. The A's will leave him loaded. And we just talked about him a moment ago, and it's for the same reasons. Is Defensively, he struggled last year. Uh, he needs to cut down on the errors this year. And then offensively, he's got some real potential too. So on both sides, he can make a giant difference for the A's. My number two pick for Oakland, Chris Davis, coming over from the Milwaukee Brewers. He's got giant power. Last season with the Brewers, he had 27 home runs, had 22 the year before, but he's got a chance to go 30-plus this year for Oakland and can really help that middle of the lineup. And I think Chris Davis is going to be a big key in left field. And finally, and this was a tough one too, because Sonny Gray at the top of the rotation, the ace of the staff, but they have a whole list of familiar names with question marks next to a bunch of them with Hahn and Graveman and Bassett and Rich Hill and Parker. We just talked about most of them a moment ago, but Hahn is my pick. 
Han's going to be a big key. He was outstanding last year, Jesse Han, before going down. Uh, was limited to just under 100 innings pitched last year at a 3.35 ERA, but they're going to need to stabilize the rotation after Sonny Gray. And I think Hahn is the most likely candidate to do this and probably the biggest key for the Oakland A's, certainly in the rotation. So there it is, my three for each team in the AL West outside of the Mariners. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on this one because this there's so many different directions we can go and talking about some of the key guys for every other team in the AL West. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, maybe sleepers, maybe uh, take the same exact question. Your keys for the Rangers' fortunes or the Angels or the A's or the Astros. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can tweet me at any point, at Gary Hill Jr. And you can always email me as well. I haven't thrown this out this year yet, but garyhillpxp at gmail.com. You can reach me anytime there. So always love to hear your thoughts, whether it's this topic or not. And that's going to do it. So we'll be back in the very near future. So until then, so long, or I guess see you later. This place is a rockin' this afternoon, 46,105. It will go crazy if he throws another fastball by Nomar. The 0-2 pitch on the way. Strike three called on the outside corner. A 98-mile-an-hour fastball, and they are going crazy here at Safeco Field this afternoon. Two swings and a 98-mile-an-hour wisp of smoke right over the outside corner to Nomar Garcia-Para. The inning is over. The Mariners still lead it 3-1. to one. The Rose. See you later! Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.